day to day, uh, it, it, it was pretty uh, joyful. Uh, but there was, you know, it was a it was a compact neighborhood because there's eight apartment buildings literally uh, on a span of one part of the street, and uh, it was like a, a city inside a city. So uh, there was a lot of ethnicity. Uh, ethnicity. Uh, I had uh, some Indian friends. I had Asian friends, Caucasian friends, Black friends, you name it. But uh, there was a lot of moving of people, so you really didn't get to have like strong friendships, but you had some strong friendships because other kids. Uh, their families didn't move or anything. School was okay, except for uh, the fact that to get to Alpine Public School, you had to walk through Our Lady of Grace, which was Catholic, and there was always some sort of scuffle or ruckus thing you got into. So uh, some some of my day-to-day was actually defending myself, trying to walk home from school. My family was uh, it was good. We, you know, my parents did their best to to fill the house with love, and we we didn't want for nothing, but. We weren't like the average family, but we didn't go without. Uh, I can honestly say that. So uh, day to day was uh, understanding culture, understanding Christianity. Uh, I dealt with racism a little bit too growing up, but uh, Kingswood Drive, Country Hills here in Kitchener, it's, uh, it's, it's still a remarkable place to me, man. Got out of control, rebelled really hard, and uh, I got into a lot of trouble, uh, drugs, crime. Uh, girls kicked out of school, kicked out of school, you name it. But uh, I always had an, an outlet, which was not only my faith in God, but uh, my gift of writing. So uh, writing has really carried me through a lot of things, believe it or not, uh, even as simple as journaling at night or during the day. And uh, I have three beautiful children, Trenton, 15, Ava, Renee is seven, and my son, Jaden, who's 10 months, I'm currently teething. Thankfully, he's in bed right now. I got some uh, some some new music coming out really soon. Uh, just wrapped up another video uh, for my second single called Bang Bang. And uh, it's my coming out party because uh, aside from the music that I put up before, um, this time I'm, I'm actually choosing to tell my story with the testimony behind it as well as, you know, the glorification of God and, and Jesus Christ. So. This intro is provided by recording artist John Maxim. It's a clip from his new single, Blame. Follow him on Instagram, at John Maxim Music. I mess up, get dressed up, confess up the worst of my feelings are very mischieving. I struggle and blame myself. It's my fault. Welcome from the depths of darkness to the light of success. This podcast is brought to you by our sponsor, Compass 9 Media. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the Chris Wick Podcast. So what was it like dealing with that racism growing up, you know, probably through the 90s and stuff for you? Uh, It was tough because the first time I actually got called the N-word, it was from a kid who I asked if I could play with his Tonka truck. You know, and I'm thinking at five, like to hear a word from a child and and feel like a pain inside, not even knowing what the word meant. I I understood it was something foul and uh, it ended up being uh, me hitting him with his truck. And then he ran home and his dad came out. uh, And back then, tattoos were really like, whoa, you know, like badass, not as common as they were today. So his dad came out, you know, tank top, jeans tattoos, long beards, cigarettes. And, uh, I had to go get my dad. And, and, uh, when it was, uh, 
unraveled what he had actually said to me. My dad had pointed out that that child would not have known that without influence in the home. So that was a whole other thing. But that was the first time I, it kind of set a precedent for me of what the world was really about. And then along the way, I just I just dealt with the pain. Uh, it, it got bad some points where it was hard for me like to go to school. I didn't want to go to school sometimes. And, you know, my dad would rush me out the door until I, I, I injured a child really bad. And I, instead of going to the office, I ran home. You got to understand my dad seeing his son come home, who's supposed to be in grade five right now uh, during school time, huffing and puffing. That's kind of what alarmed my dad to, to take a trip to the school. So junior high, it, it was less and less. Like as I got older, it became less and less because crowds changed, influences changed. Music was a factor. Like, you know, kids in junior high that were pumping Nirvana and Pro Jam and stuff, they were anti-rap. And then I see them down the road and that's all they've got. So uh, there was there was an advantage to it as well. So at what point in your life did you like find this niche to be a hip hop artist? Uh, I, I always admired, I always admired it when I was young. Um, Run DMC, you know, Naughty by Nature. And then I got into kind of like the, uh, the Biggie Snoop Dogg era there, but I'd always just messed around like rapping and rhyming and stuff. And I did a talent show in grade school and yeah, it was, uh, I wasn't around, wasn't until about 15 or 16 at a house party where freestyling was kind of the thing everyone was doing or talking about and uh you know being able to 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 rap on the spot and sound good uh with the american influence and influx coming through with rap blowing up there uh it kind of was like all eyes on you if you could do it and um my friend he actually pushed me into the middle of like a, a freestyle cypher that was taking place at this house party and uh instead of getting in a fight, the guy like dissed me, like he, he actually dissed me rapping and uh, everyone started laughing at me and chuckling. And instead of feeling like uh, the need to, to fight violently, I, I, I don't just something went off in my head and I responded. I responded to the fact that I'll never forget the lines that I used. And uh, I remember saying that he's softer than a cupcake crumbles, like a cookie limp biscuit fan. You did it all for the nookie. So it's the reason behind all this rookie, somebody find a gynecologist to examine this, you can fill in the blank. Uh, and everyone went crazy. And from there, it was just this come up. Every party we went to, every basketball game, like our school versus another school, someone would know me, recognize me, be like, yo, let's go freestyle outside. And so that's what started happening. And then um, it got the ears of a producer in the city by the name of Dub J, Double J. Nice. That's amazing, man. Mm -hmm. You know, and along the road and stuff, you've battled addictions and mental health issues as well. You know, would you like to walk us through maybe like what your last bottom was? Ooh, yeah, that's like, uh, that's pretty much a lifetime. Um, I can, I can say like, let's start off at 16. Like my mom and my dad had split. So being raised as, as firm and, and governed as we were as, as a Christian family, like divorce and separation wasn't the way to go. So when it actually happened to my mom and my dad, there was that many more eyes on me because of who my dad was in the church community. I rebelled. Like I ended up doing my first line of Coke at 16 because I didn't have that father disciplinary character in the home anymore. Cause my mom had taken me and my little brother. So yeah, on top of that, it was kind of uh, fueled by what was going on with my mom and dad at the time. And so that kind of, uh, 
was a seed planted. I didn't really understand the buzz when I first did it, but then because I'd already done it when the opportunity came again and I actually experienced the high that, well, that, that took me down 23 years of, of everything here. Um, I basically got into dealing it around 18. I was dealing it out of the store where I was working uh mega pizza here in uh, Alpine Plaza, country Hills. And uh, from there I just escalated, but I always maintained my, my education and intelligence because I could keep a job or, you know, I would, I would still help other people with their resumes cause I could still do that. But I had uh, this dark side to me. So I was, it was almost like two personas. Yeah. I had two people, you know, I could go to church, choir, do all this stuff. And then like Monday morning, wake up, weighing up weed and Coke to go to school. It wasn't until I went to Catholic school. I got, I got kicked out of Cameron. I went to St. Mary's. That's when I saw just like uh, the wave starting because our generation was coming up to the point where it was like weed was the thing. But when people found out that I was doing coke, like a lot of people distanced themselves from me. They were like, whoa, like you've crossed the line. But it was normal to me because I was already so hungry and geared for a rebellion because I was pissed off my parents. I ended up getting to the point where other other territories or places I would go, I would end up in trouble. Uh, I had to get in fights or or what have you. And, you know, then guns got involved and, and beefs nightclubs, girls, all that stuff. And, and it brought me to being 24. I was still going to college. I was still apprenticing to be a chef, but I'm still bagging up half grams and grams, you know? And uh, that led me to my first son, uh, Trenton. I was scared. I was so scared. I, 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 did, I, I thought I was prepared. I thought I could do it, but I wasn't ready to let go of the life I was living. And uh, I didn't actually understand until 30 when my daughter was born. By this time I had been arrested 12, 13 times. I'd been in and out of jail on probation this whole time from 21 to 32, uh, actually from 19 to 32. So that was all part of this. But when my daughter was born, I was at a point where like something has to change and something has to change now. And I took my first uh, attempt voluntarily at going to treatment. So I went to uh, Newport Treatment Center, Port Colburn. I lasted all about 12 days until I had a uh, drug-induced psychosis from my brain not getting its daily fix. Uh, by then, I was doing more coke than I was selling, so I was, you know, robbing checks with or robbing banks with checks and doing all that stupid stuff, and you know, scamming people, and and you know, the, the addict really came out around 25, 26 to my daughter's birth. Uh, but but at that point, I had to actually leave Kitchener and go live in Toronto. And it wasn't until I got to Toronto that I realized about the severity of my anxiety and the depression and uh, all sorts of stuff was wrong with me. And I didn't have a family doctor for my entire 20s. So my daughter's mom got me hooked up with her family doctor and he had done assessment after assessment. He was like, man, you're like, you're damaged goods, man. Like, I, cause I couldn't even go outside on the balcony to smoke a cigarette. I was so afraid of being seen. And, uh, I know that's the feeling, when he man, I know the feeling. Yeah. So that's when he explained what anxiety does, how it, it, you know, every human being has it because fear is, is healthy in a sense of instinct and survival. You know what I mean? But when it comes to, uh, I got to take the bus to go to this meeting and then all of a sudden you hear a horn honk outside. There's lots of traffic and, and you're pulling up cover over your head and like, you, you just don't, you know, I was like, what the heck is wrong with me? So he had told me that anxiety based on my assessments was, was severe, a disorder where it takes a natural 
day-to-day thing, but intensifies fear with it and uh, paranoia and, you know, this constant rush and the, the tightening of the chest, the, the increased heartbeat and the irregular pulse and, and then the, the beating of sweat coming down and you have no idea why you're supposed to just go outside and get on the damn bus. And as I explained stuff like that to him, that's when I started getting led to, to uncovering this mental monster, as I call it, because apparently I'd had it my entire life, but it didn't really uh, become relevant because I, my brain wasn't mature enough yet. So when I, my brain got to the teenage maturity going into adulthood, I was already putting substances in it. So that just wonked it right out. So it's taken me pretty much from the age of 32 till today that we sit here to do all the research I could, uh, exhaust all the resources I could, booklets, pamphlets, and just learn about it because uh, it's dangerous and it sucks, especially with like family and children around. Like I didn't realize like what I was doing to affect my children. Like when I couldn't find my keys and then all of a sudden I'm like in this rage because I'm so fixated on the fact that my keys are always here on this part of the table and they should be here. And then like, you know, your son's just like, where's the last place you had them? It's just like, if I knew that, then I, you know what I mean? Like you lash out and now he doesn't want to come back. And my, his mom's calling me like, what happened? And then I have to explain it to her. And then she's like, okay, well you need to figure out how to, to, to get a grip on these things. And I found out that was another form of the anxiety reaction because my brain isn't thinking about the keys that I can't find. It's thinking about the fact that I can't start my car. I'll be late for this appointment. I can't get you to school. School's going to call me. Your mom's going to call me. Like I, just the dominoes start falling and it prevents you from being able to focus on the task at hand, which is like retrace your steps, Justin. So that was another thing that I realized that, but the, the one that scared me the most was the depression because out of nowhere, I, I just, I didn't want to get out of bed. I didn't want to eat, you know, and I was, I was at a point of being sober too. So this was like months and months of, of no drugs, not even weed. And I still just, I just want to be on my couch and watch movies. Like I, I've watched the movie heat, the departed bad boys one and two, like at least 50 times just because I would, my brain would find comfort in a movie that I've seen playing and then stop, put in the next one stop putting the next one and then all of a sudden it's like 7 p.m at night i get those every now and then but to be 39 and to to know a lot of things now it's helped a lot especially with like my children now my relationships with uh family siblings uh the closest of friends that i have that stuck around so but i still have my episodes it's just a matter of like recognizing when you're in it and, and capturing it I, I, I would suggest, sorry, sorry, just, I would suggest if anyone out there is still at a point of not understanding it, there is nothing wrong with taking out $40 and, and, and getting a, a thick 200 page anxiety workbook or anxiety and phobia workbook. Uh, because I read the first two and a half pages and, and I was pretty much reading about myself and a lot of things I didn't even recognize, like situational anxiety, social anxiety. Why don't I want to go to this function today? Why am I so afraid to get out of the car? Why don't I want to go in there? I don't have beef with anyone. It's a church event, (laughs) you know? So uh, to be sitting there as a grown man, like I don't want to go in. I just want to go home. I don't want to go in. I just want to go home. I had to read about that. And then I recognized that's social. That comes with the the, the, uh, severe disorder. Situational comes with the, the panic attacks come with it. You learn all that stuff. Then you learn how to fight it. And some days are draining and very taxing, but it's worth it.
Yeah, most definitely. Like my, I'm myself as well. I deal with anxiety, depression, you know, panic attacks and, you know, and lots of, you hit it all bang on, but you know, sometimes you just got to deal with it head on. And sometimes the best thing I find is just get comfortable, whether it's laying in bed or somewhere you feel comfortable. And if you have to be by yourself just to ride it out, then do it. But I find getting comfortable somewhere, if you can, if you're in a situation where you can just sit down on your couch or lay in your bed and get comfortable sort of thing. I find that really helps for myself. Uh, one thing that I do is, uh, Every day I, I call it my mental health walk uh, for a minimum of 40 minutes. I just put on my headphones, hit a playlist and I'm out the door. That walk can turn into an hour and a half. And I've made it to like McGlennon Park, Mount Trashmore, saw a view of the city, back down the mountain, through uh, by Montsenior Hall there, come out by Laurentian, by Glencairn School. And I just, I just, I just walk. But I realize how good that is for you for the rest of the day because your brain has had a chance to just be free. And when you give your, you give your brain, like there's different forms for everyone. Like you just said, you know, getting comfortable laying down stuff like that. It's the chance for your brain to actually feel freedom and peace. And that is so important to uh, the aspect of mental health because I walked before, but I didn't realize what it was actually doing for me until I realized that, Hey, I'm going to go for a walk at a certain time during the day. And then my brain became excited, like just how you'd be get excited at it's three o'clock. I'm off work. The beer store's right there. Yeah, I'm going to go see the dealer. And, you know, that I get that rush now to go for a walk. And that is uh, very key to, to not only recovery, but uh, awareness of, of your mental condition. Yeah, for sure. And it's rewarding at the end of the end of your walk as well, just because you're just free of all your thoughts and got them all out there and stuff. And journaling too, like you talked about earlier, journaling's key, I think, too. Like if you can journal and keep it consistent, you know, I'm not always consistent with those types of things, but as long as you talk or talk with people, just talk about your feelings, like or write them down, like we talked about. Who was your biggest influence, you know, to get into hip hop? I know you mentioned a few earlier, but I th- you got any other? Who's your ma- most major influence? In the Canadian aspect of hip hop, it was Shockler because. Uh Shawclair kind of just popped up one day. And you've had them in a couple of your songs, or I remember one, uh, a song in, in particular and stuff, you know, well, probably almost 10 years ago now, but. Yeah, that was, uh, and that was a big moment for me, but um, for him to kind of do that at, a, at the time where America was flooding the world, East Coast, West Coast, and then this was before even the South blew up. But at that point in time, it was between, uh, Jay-Z and DMX that got me into really developing myself as an artist. Uh, Jay-Z gave me the, uh, the coolness to it and also the hustlers, uh, boss style and entrepreneur aspect where DMX gave me the pure truth from what is in your heart as soon as you pick up a pen and who cares who says what about what you're rapping about. You have to express the truth to you because if not you're going to become a gimmick or you're going to get puppeted or or what have you uh the other aspect was jay-z was able to to show me that okay if you're going to have all these doors shut we'll just do it ourselves and then become big enough to turn around to the to the places that shut doors and be the one opening them for them um so yeah those were the my biggest influences and then aside from that came uh Nas, Nas was really good for the uh, storytelling poetry aspect of it for me. 
Eminem, when Eminem came, I was like, okay, this is what rhyming is. Not just rhyming, but rhyming and being able to use so many words and be capable of outsmarting some of the big artists at the time on top of the fact that he had the boost that he's he's white when eminem got into his, his true character of like the layers to kim and Haley and his mother that's the stuff that i gravitate to because it's like okay well you're not from the hood you're not all pistol packing crack dealing and all this sort of stuff but you 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 have a story to tell as well and the way that he told it man it was I just said I can't learn to adapt to that, but I'm going to love to listen to it. And that 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 helped me shape how I became into the aliases that I used at the time. Like Lil J at the time, I was I had the Iversons and the Jordans and the the Rockaware velour suits and like disposable money. Like you know, I was doing laundry and then finding 180 dollars in a pair of jeans, and I was like, where did this come from? But you know, I, I wish I could do that nowadays. But uh, and then when Just Incredible came was like me getting to a point of confidence like this is me i'm popular i'm well known i'm doing shows out of town i'm getting booked in toronto windsor london not just to try cities there's always been justin hamilton behind all that and justin hamilton loves cocaine weed and partying and it would contaminate that to the point where when all the smoke was clear all the influences aside who are you and that's where I'm at now. That's 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 why I was me really excited to put this this stuff out. Um, yeah, well, you have one song like the your last single, not the Bang Bang one that's coming out soon, uh, but Fatherhood Blessed. You don't know, want to walk us through that one a little bit and how that one came about. You know, it's a really deep song, man. I love it. Yeah, but uh, thank you very much for that too, man. Because um, you're like we were one of the engines of supporters, just keeping the wheel burning, but. Uh, it 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 was difficult for me to put out. It was because I was having a battle with who I am now, comfortable in my skin, understanding my purpose, my passion, my goals. You know, I'm I'm around the corner from 40 and I'm still alive. And I've had to bury homeboys, you know, that were healthier than me, partied less than I did. And there's a part of me that feels like, well, why them, not me? That internal battle was taking place because I wanted to let people know that if I'm going to come out with music again after all these years take, staying away from it, it's because I had to do it the way that God intended it to be done. He's the one that blessed me with this gift as a believer, uh, despite who's listening out there. I wrote it. It's the only. It's the first song I wrote without a pen and paper. I just the beat was so beautiful. It just it hit my heart, and I I listened to it on repeat for hours there was actual nights last year because i wrote the song last year there was nights where i was going through turmoil like you know uh having slips and slips turned into a binge and then i'd have to like re recuperate and i felt my children slipping like uh trenton and ava and i actually remember sitting in my garage and just writing it to the point where i kept memorizing it and then eventually it all came together and when i got the master copy back i listened to it and i cried uh kim my fiance she cried her parents cried like my uh cas worker he said i had no idea if i didn't know you and i heard this song i would want to get to know you you know and that was really powerful your comments and messages uh the the streams going from like a couple hundred and all of a sudden like kaboom fifteen thousand. uh 
the video itself too. It, 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 the only people that really had issues were like the people really close to me, like my sister, my mom, like, because obviously like they're attached to you. Right. And I think for me, that was like, like popping my cherry where it's like, you have a song so powerful that as much as your family wants to support you, they have, you have to be mindful of their emotions too. Who, you know, a mother doesn't want to hear about you kicking a pregnant girl down the stairs because she caught you smoking crack. But the general audience out there is going to hear that and be like, I want to listen to more of this guy because if he can tell us that, he's he's got substance. And that's the problem. And I think someone said it in a Facebook comment. They said, it's so nice to hear a song that serves a purpose. It really hit home. As a dad, I listened to your song and I went to my children's room and gave them an extra hug. And I was like blown away when I read that. Like so blown away to the point where I could retire right now because my entire purpose as an artist and as a rapper just had some guy who's across the country in BC tell me that he listens to my song and then he felt compelled to go give his children an additional hug that night. You know what I mean? For, 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 for someone who had to live it and actually do that, deal with it, the pain of it, being in jail, uh, court, all that stuff, you're living finally at a place of freedom with some some riffraffs that you got to clean up but ultimately by the end of the song and i and me releasing it i i said let it just do what it's gonna do and it did its justice and i'm proud of that song now i'm proud of who i am i'm proud of it having my son open up and talk to me and ask questions it's you know my daughter just everywhere she goes i'm in my dad's video you gotta watch it i'm in my dad's video you gotta watch it and uh yeah, Fatherhood Blessed was the first time I came out to publicly glorify God, even though my life was disastrous, if you listen to that song. Yeah, and, and, and that's okay, man. Like, you know, everything happens for a reason at the end of the day, you know, and you're on the right path now, and that's all that matters, you know. You can never forget where you came from, so you can always, you know, you don't have to relive it every day, but as long as you remember where you came from, you know, and where you are today, that's all that matters, man. So w- what is your favorite album of all time? Ooh. Again, it's going to come down to my two favorite artists and influentials. They're both on the same scale. Uh, Jay-Z, The Blueprint, and DMX, It's Dark and Hell is Hot. Those two... I still have everywhere in my Spotify playlist. My MP3 player that I go take on my walk, on my cell phone, on my fiance's cell phone. Like it, it's one of those songs from that album are on somewhere daily. And it's only because it brings me back to a happy place. I have family in New York and I went to New York the year before DMX's album or Get At Me Dog or anything came out. But because I was in New York, his mixtape was flooding around everywhere. Every barbershop I went into, this, that his CD cover was everywhere. It was it was just this feeling of like something big's happening. And my my cousin sent me home with some CDs, and I came back, and I remember everyone looking at me like, "What, what is this, man? It was some guy barking and growling. This isn't cool, man." Blah blah. Snoop Dogg's the only dog that can make it, and blah blah blah. Let me tell you, six months after that, kaboom. Everyone that said something to me about it was now either driving past me, leaving the school parking lot, or pulling into a parking lot with it pumping. Jay-Z, I had followed his career. As my life was changing, I wanted to hear a different style of music. 
So the blueprint came with all those samples from Kanye and it brought me back to being a child when my parents used to listen to some of those samples that he used. And it was a really, uh, it's a really emotional moment uh, because I actually bought the day. I uh, sorry. I bought the album on the day it was released, which was nine 11. And it was after work that I bought it. So all this stuff was going on with the world trade center and you know, I'm buying the CD and then I heard the takeover when he dissed Mob Deep and then Nas, we listened to that song on repeat for like two or three hours, just bobbing our head and banging on the car windows because New York was at a place of kind of like calm and peaceful. And all of a sudden, like one of the biggest rappers just dropped the bomb on two of the founders of New York hip hop. And uh, yeah, it was a special day. So that's always going to be in my heart, too. So those, so it's Dark and Hell's Hot by DMX and Jay Z's first blueprint are are my favorite albums. <laughs> Thanks, man. In the last thirty days, what would you say is the most influential, positive thing that you've done or had happen in your life? A fight with my fiance, believe it or not, it allowed me to see that uh, anger is still an issue, and as much as I'm in control, I'm at the point now where I had an outburst. Her and my son left. They went to my sister's because that's part of the plan that we have. And I was left at home alone. And my sister kind of said, you know what? You need to stop and take a look around because that's going to be your reality if you don't get a hold of this shit. And that's my big sister. So it really opened my eyes to like, as even as good as you're doing, as great as the position you are in life right now, anything can happen at any given moment. And you've got to be in control. And I lost control through... Uh, I was sipping Wendy's and she was saying something and I ended up throwing it at the wall and pops everywhere. So she's, you know, getting out of the house, but it was those two days that she was in Toronto at my sister's where I had to sit here and kind of be like, let's not do the old Justin thing where you sit there and justify or say, you know what, based on, let's just look at how the other person reacted, felt from packing clothes, crying her eyes out, to me patiently waiting for her so I can hand over my son, get to safety because she's a recovering addict as well. So that, that whole safety plan is if A loses it or B loses it, my sister is a C and that's where either one of us will go with our son stamped and certified. So this episode happened, but it was her coming home the Friday morning and I immediately became selfless. I immediately just said, I want to know everything that you feel, everything that I can change or correct without losing sight of myself. And what I mean by that is if my moral radar starts spinning, it's something that I won't change for someone. I.e., if someone's like, you know, I'm, I don't do the whole church thing, so it's either that or me, well, I'll see you later, you know? <laughs> but if you're like, listen, I don't like that, you know, sometimes when you're talking to me, it sounds like you're belittling me. If it's something I don't notice, but you're bringing that to my attention, instead of just, bah, 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 I stop and say, can you give me an example? First three days after she came home from this fight, we were just feeding off each other. Eventually, she was like, what are some things about me? Tell me some things. And I would give her an example and then she'd see it. Uh, so that was to me probably the most significant thing I've done in a very long time. And it was in the, it was within the last 30 days. That's awesome. Man. And it sounds like it was really impactful to, you know, have that argument fight, whatever you want to call it. And sort of, it was a wake up call in a sense, man. It was a wake up call. And it was also a benefit because 
it allowed us to, cause she's like, I don't want to be at your sister's. I want to be at home, you know, but I'm here just until it's, it's calm enough to do this. But yeah, it, it's changed how everything has been going since. So if you could compare yourself with any animal in the world, which would it be and why? Killer whale. Why is that? Uh, mammal, strong, predominantly black, and dominant. The most feared creature in the ocean above the great white shark. I like it, man. That's good. Uh, so before we end it here, man, uh, what are three things that you can do for your mental health, you know, mental well-being, physical well-being on a day-to-day basis to help you get through the day? Proper diet. Proper diet. Uh, I never miss breakfast anymore, even if it's just protein powder, milk, and, and some yogurt and shake it. Uh, I never miss breakfast. That's number one for me. Uh, number two, exercise, even if it's a walk. Push-ups, crunches. There's so many things you can do at home without a gym membership that still give your brain the endorphins and, and release dopamine uh, in a very healthy sense. So that's number two. So I never miss breakfast, and I do take uh, a walk for at least 40 minutes. I say 40 minutes because it's 10 over half of an hour. So you spent a greater part of an hour uh, extracting that negative energy that may be there. And the third one is uh, time management, the the balance of family man and my personal time. Uh, so this has been known uh, for a couple of weeks. So that's why I'm here speaking freely. My son's in bed. Kim's handling anything that's happening upstairs because we communicate so well about our time in the day. Uh, vice versa with her. She'll be like, okay, listen, I'm doing this at four o'clock today with my sober sister. Da, da, da. And I'm like, okay, cool. Time management and balance is very important because uh, I find that once something becomes too much of, this trickles up and causes the anxious reaction. Uh, and I say that as an example of, I would wait till Jaden and Kim went to bed and, and finally the house was quiet. Now I'm gonna go write a couple chapters of my novel. 4 a.m. I'm falling asleep and then waking up at eight and going through the day because I, I don't have to go to work right now and all that other stuff. But then I realize that four hours of sleep that I didn't get, is truly affecting me. So I had to, again, construct a different way, which was like, okay, I'm going to take this time in the morning to do my novel, which means I'm going to go to bed earlier so I can wake up earlier and the house is still quiet, like it's midnight, only it's 7 a.m. So I get that 7 a.m. till about 9 when my son wakes up to myself to do my writing and goal achieving. Never miss breakfast, exercise, uh, even if it's a healthy walk for 40 minutes, proper time management and life balance. Nice, man. Thank you very much. And before we go, uh, where can everyone find you on social media? Are you on Instagram and stuff? Yeah, on Instagram, I am uh, at Tri-Cities Boss, which is T-R-I-C-I-T-Y-S Boss. Uh, Facebook, Justin Hamilton Music, or my personal is Just Incredible Hamilton. Uh, Twitter, same thing, at Tri-Cities Boss. And YouTube. Uh, slash Justin Hamilton music. All right. Thank you very much again, man, for coming on the show and ex- sharing your experience, strength and hope, man. Yeah. Thank you for having me, Chris. And, uh, you know, keep doing your thing. I remember bumping into the hospital and you were telling me about this and it's, it's an honor to be sitting here as your guest. Yeah. Right, thank you Proud very much, you, man. man. I do appreciate that a lot. All right. You have a great rest of your day.
Thanks for tuning into this week's episode. New episode comes out every Monday at 7 a.m. on all streaming platforms. And you can follow me on Instagram at Depth of Dark Side and on Facebook at From the Depths of Darkness to the Light of Success. Have a great week, folks.